0: God, thanks for another day of life. Sometimes we don't, we don't live like it, but we really truly believe that we take another breath because you allow it. And some of us are kind of trying to decide what we believe for sure, but God, we've jo- come to this place today because we know that the advice that we get Barnes & Noble and Oprah and the news, it only takes us so far and you've promised that we'll have trouble but you've promised this peace that you say passes all understanding and god we we've thought we could get peace with a new car or new truck or new job new spouse but it only takes us so far and so god we we choose today to listen and those of us who are kind of struggling in our faith today pray that you would allow us to kind of free our minds and our hearts today to hear from you and those of us that have still been have been struggling to to be who we say we are and who you want us to be, God, would you help us take another step? Would you walk, allow us to walk away from this place today with a new way to do life closer to you in your son's name? Amen. So chapter 9 of the story um, takes us in the Old Testament to um, a woman named Ruth, um, which might sound like an old woman or a candy bar. Um, and uh, but it 's an amazing woman, an incredible story, and this is where I absolutely love um, to get to do what I do. I love to tell stories, um, and this story of Ruth and Boaz is amazing now if you 're like me i 'm just going to be real honest with this this morning if you 're like me and you grew up reading the King James version of the Bible um, and you 've read this story, you may have missed some things because there 's language involved here there 's some things that you just like who begot who and I be not understanding this whole thing. That's the way I felt. Um, and, but truthfully, even reading the book, even reading the story, um, which it's just written in a contemporary way, um, and it is really much easier to understand than some of the ways I grew up, there's still some words like gleaning, um, there's, some, there's some phrases, there's some thoughts, um, threshing, um, there's some things that, that we don't use in our vocabulary. So part of what I want to do today, I want to do two things. I want to tell you this story, if you've never heard this story, here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to kind of free your mind open, and if, you're, if you have the same problem I do, we talk about this a lot, that we, when we hear Bible stories, we kind of Walt disney eyes them, you know? We, we put big cartoon noses on these characters. We make them bigger than life. We, if you would, for a second, just kind of try to free your mind with this story and think about it as real life. Because what we believe is that this is history. And, and not only is this what we believe here at church, but Ruth is a historical figure that people outside the Bible have confirmed. So this is a story that even outside the Bible, even if you're not sure you believe the Bible is what we believe it is here, this is something that hits his, history. And it's a story that is part of God's bigger story. And if you, if you look at it close, you'll see moments where you go, Oh man, that's me. I am totally that person. And you'll see moments where you go, Oh, I wish somebody would come into my life and do that. And you'll see moments where you go, boy, if God would work like that in my life, things would be different for me. And that's the point of the Bible. The whole point of the Bible is that you can read this thing and that you won't be confused by it. Now, there's some things that we'll never understand in the Bible. And it kind of drives me nuts when I go online and I type in something that's hard to understand and I see six or eight different explanations for it. Whenever I do that, if you ever do this too, you get, get into the Bible, you can go and type in the word that you're wanting in Google and it'll pop up all these things. If you get six or eight different explanations, just chalk it up as one of those things we're not going to understand until we can ask Jesus, okay? Because people start making up things when they don't understand it. There are some things in the Bible that we just won't understand. And I think part of what we're doing in this story is filtering those out. What can we understand? What do we just not get right now? Let's not make up things. And so some of you have been asking me questions, and I got some this week. It's great when I get them before I preach because I can address some of those questions. Um, but uh, I got some of those questions this week, and I had to send back to you answers. Like some of the answers were, "I don't know," I'll get back to you. Some of the answers were, "I don't know," I won't ever know. Nobody really knows, and we'll ask God someday. And some of the answers just are straight up. So I'm going to kind of give you some of those. I'm going to be real honest when I feel like, and be real clear about this when I when I'm. What I consider to be pontificating when I'm taking the story and I'm kind of being a little liberal with it I'm saying this is probably what happened and I'll be real clear about that and then I'll be real clear when it says This is what the Bible says and you'll see scripture up on the screen so that you can see those things And and I want you to understand this story So if you can if you've got the the kind of a sitcom attention span and you need a commercial every 30 seconds or every five minutes, you know um, I'm really hoping today that you can kind of just draw in and and hear this story and as we go I'm going to kind of break it apart for you. But the story um, of Ruth is is one that's life-changing. It's a a grass is greener on the other side story. You know this story, where somebody has a pretty good life, things are pretty good, but there's a couple things in their life they don't like, and they can see, and you know the phrase, grass is greener on the other side. It comes from cows, um, and I I love some of the pictures I typed in in Google. When I typed in grass is greener, I saw these pictures of cows with tongues, like this long, trying to stick their neck through a fence and get some grass on the other side that just looks a little bit greener to them. And the idea is that no matter how good things are in your life, there's got to be something better, right? That's a human story. It's a human condition that we have, and it's what causes men to go after other women when things are so good at home. It's what causes good jobs (laughs) to be left and others to be pursued. It's what causes a, a perfectly good car to be traded in for a higher payment, and pretty much the same ride with just a couple little extras. This is the human condition, and this was happening at this day and age. And here's what's happened. A whole group of people, if you've missed this story, a whole group of people God has raised up and said, you're going to be a group of people on the earth that I have chosen to tell my story to the world. Now, it's weird. There's nothing special about these people in terms of They're better or they're smarter or they're prettier. In fact, some of them are just plain mean and gross and dirty and messed up. And that seems to be part of God's intent. He wants to show the people that I love aren't good. In fact, one of the things we've been learning through this story is that as humans, what we believe about God, if you're here today and you believe in God or you sometimes believe in God, what you probably believe about God and what he wants from you is that he wants you to be good, you know? I think most people believe that what God wants most for you is to be good. But what we're learning in the story is that ain't true. God knows you're not good. God knows that no matter how hard you try, no matter how many rules you set up, no matter how things change, no matter how many times you go to rehab, no matter how much marriage counseling you get, you're not going to be good. You can't be good enough. And the good news of the story, if you fall asleep now... (laughs) and you don't hear the rest of what I say today, please hear this. The good news of every little piece of the story is that what God wants from us is not to be good. It's to be forgiven. It's to trust him. It's to be his. It's to choose him over and over and over. And so what we're learning here at New Life, and and, and man, this is hard to get, because as soon as you get it, your mind goes, but John, that's... That's too good to be true, right? <laughs> too good to be true, really. Because really, everything that's good in my life, I have to earn. And I want you to know that you cannot earn the love of God. You can't earn it. It's already there, and what the Bible shows over and over and over again is that he is telling a story with your life. He just wants you to trust him. You're going to see that today in the story of a, ma- of a woman named Naomi and her husband. Now, one of the things I love about, the sto- about these stories and each one of these as we read the Bible is that there are these main characters that surface. And if you watch television in the evenings, um, you see this a lot too. If you watch Castle or any of those kinds of shows, you see that there are five or six main characters. And then there are people who just come and go, you know. The murderer who you think you know from growing pains as a guest, you know, probably some, or the, the, the guest star or whoever it is, they kind of come and go, but there are some main people who really tell the story. And in these stories, there are people that God kind of, he, he kind of highlights. And sometimes he highlights them because they're making terrible choices and you go, man, I wouldn't want to be highlighted like that. But sometimes he highlights them because they have made an enormous impact on their story, on the people in their lives. And, and, and then sometimes you read these and you go, boy, he, all he did was mention that dude's name and you never hear from him again. And you get this sense that this guy lived his whole life and he made zero impact on the people around him. As I'm reading the story, one thing I'm getting from the story of Ruth and from all the stories is, man, God, don't let me be that guy. Don't let me be the guy who just goes to work, gets up, goes to work again, gets up, watches a couple shows in the evening, goes to work again, maybe watches a ball game, talks about it at the water cooler, goes back, and never makes an impact. Don't let me be just another name in a story. Let me do something. Even if I mess up, even if I, even if I take a big chance and I'm embarrassed, God, let me make an impact. If you're here today and, you're, and, and you feel like me sometimes and you feel like that mundane life, You know what I mean by that. The alarm goes off and you can't remember if it's Tuesday or Wednesday because the things you have to do today are pretty much the same as the things you've had to do for the last long time. And you begin to think, why am I here? What am I doing? If you're feeling like that today, I want you to know that that little feeling is from God. Because he doesn't intend for you to be an innocent bystander in your story. He doesn't intend for you to sit on his lap and listen to your story. He intends for you to be the hero. He intends for you in your story to be the heroine, to be the star of your story. And we see it happen. A woman named Naomi and her husband are living in, 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 a, in an area called the Promised Land. And this is an area that you may have heard of the words before. Um, it's an area that God promised to his people, um, the, the Israelites, um, which we now call Jews, These people um, went all over, and God said, this is going to be your land. And it was supposed to be a land flowing with milk and honey, and it started that way. And the people began to make choices, but one bad choice after another that led them into a famine. Um, It's not unlike kind of our story in America right now. We go, God, why is our economy so bad? What are you teaching us? And God goes, I'm teaching you that you shouldn't have spent so much money 20 years ago. You shouldn't have just bought a house even though you couldn't afford it. Some of these are just consequences, and this is what happens. People keep making bad choice after bad choice after bad choice, and they end up with a land that used to be fruitful, that is now in famine. and they look across and they look across the kind of the river, or the, the lake, the Sea of Galilee, and they see a land that literally is greener. Ruth chapter one: in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, he's just a man at this point wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the, count, in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of their two sons were Malon and Kilion. I think that's the only time you'll see the sons' names. I mean, they just kind of come and go. They were Ephratites um, from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now, here's the big deal here. And When you read that, if you're not careful, you read these stories. This is what I do too. And you kind of read over the big names and you kind of go, whatever. But it's so important. And so today I wanted to show you this map. Here's the deal. On the right side there, you can see Moab. And, and on the left side, you see Bethlehem and Israel and Jericho. Bethlehem, even if, you, if you're not necessarily a Bible person, you know the name Bethlehem. Um, Bethlehem is where Jesus was born. It's, uh, it's a major story in the Jesus story. It will, it will be a big part um, in, in later in our story. Um, Bethlehem is where these people are from, and things get bad. And they look across the Dead Sea, and I've been to the Dead Sea. They call it the Dead Sea because nothing can really live in it. Um, the Dead Sea is a, an amazing place. You can actually, I've got pictures, and I tried to find them, and I couldn't find them before my sermon. But I've got a picture of myself laying on my back in 40 feet of water, And just kind of sitting in the water. Because there's so much salt in the water that you float. You can't sink. You can't drown yourself. They have a big beach there and no lifeguards. Because you couldn't drown. You could not hold your head underwater. It's an amazing place. It's a gross, weird, scary place. It's crazy deep in places. And they would look across the Dead Sea. And they could see Moab. They could see the part. Now, God hadn't given them that land. God had kind of said, this is where I want you to be. You stay here. You endure. You deal with this. And they had looked across, and they said, you know what? We're going to give up what God has given us, and we're going to go over there. Now, you can see my note there. Moab to Bethlehem was about um, a minimum of 40 miles. They would have had to gone about 40 miles. Now, gas mileage at that time was a little different. There was no car we're going to get in and drive, and forty miles you can be, you know, in Indianapolis. Forty miles with a family is a hike. It's a journey. It's a decision that Dad and the sons would have made. Naomi's husband and her two sons would have said. Now, at this point, her sons weren't married. They would have said, "This thing that God has given us stinks. This this, this place that God has given us, we are going to go away from this place." Now, I got to let you know, if you're here today and you you feel like these guys. You feel like you're living in a famine. Maybe not physically, maybe, but you you just feel like life is so hard. And at some point, you make a conscious decision to walk away from God. I'm just going to tell you this morning, it's a bad idea. And that's what happens. These three guys, they get their family together. They take the 40-mile hike, whatever that means, around the Dead Sea. Would have had to gone probably across the Jordan River, which was a a big undertaking as well, and into Moab where they thought the grass was greener. But at that point, something happens, and we're not sure what happens. At that point, somehow they die. And that's the end of Naomi's husband and sons. That's all we hear is that they made a bad choice and went to another place that, where they thought the grass was greener on the other side. And this is when the story of Naomi and Ruth begins. But what happens, and I want you to hear this this morning about this story, What happens to women in a culture where the husbands are dead? They become leftovers. So the boys, the sons, Naomi's sons, went into this land in Moab. They lived there long enough to meet a couple of girls that they fell in love with who weren't Israelites. They weren't Jews, which was a big no-no at that time. You didn't marry somebody outside of the faith, outside of Israel. And they married these girls from Moab. They were Moabites, um, and they were kind of outsiders. But at the same time, a woman named Naomi was their mother-in-law, began to develop a relationship with these two girls. And we see a tale of two different kinds of girls. But all three of them are leftovers. You know what I mean by that. People in the story that, that if you, if in most stories would, you would just kind of look over, you would skim over. And that's the way women were treated in that culture. One of the things that we see throughout history is every time a culture goes away from God... The two groups of people that are impacted the worst are women and children. If you look throughout the country, throughout the world right now, you go put your finger on a map and you say, do they worship God, the the, the true God, or do they worship another God? If they worship another God, I'm telling you, women and children are hurting in majority. God is so passionate about women and children, and there is a huge issue growing in our community now. Women and children, if we're not careful, are going to end up far from God and are going to end up broken again because we're getting far from God. What happens at this point in history is these guys get far from God and the women become leftovers. But the good news about God is there are no leftovers. And he begins to tell this story about these three women. Later in the story, we'll see that God says that leftovers um, are called the least of these. Have you heard that phrase? The least of these, Jesus talks about. He says, he says, you know, when you've fed somebody who seems like a leftover, when you've given something to somebody else who seems like a leftover, those are the people in the story that Jesus or God embodies. They actually somehow become them. And Jesus says, you know what? You think the first here on earth will be first in heaven, but i got to tell you, the first will be last. And everybody who's first, everybody who's rich at that time goes, oh, man, I'm going to be last. And Jesus goes, but that's not the end of the story. The last, the ones you thought were leftovers, the guy you drove by with the sign that says we'll work for food, they'll be first in the kingdom. This is a huge part of the story. And we begin to see God already impassioning a group of people. And he puts these laws into place in Israel to make sure the leftovers those who are broken, those who seem on the fringe are taken care of. If you're here today and you feel like a leftover, you're a single mom, you feel like a, 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 just a part of a bad story that people have forgotten, I want you to know that God says not only has he not forgotten you, but you're first on his heart and on his mind. God has, has put these women first. Ruth chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, now, if you read that wrong, it can look like Oprah. It's not Oprah. Orpah and the other name Ruth. Ruth, And you're not going to hear Orpah's name again, and I'll tell you why. You'll, re- you'll see it right here. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. They were leftovers. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you've shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye. They wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. Naomi says, I got to go home. I got to go back to Israel where they'll take care of me. You're going to figure out how, you're going to find in a minute how God has provided for her. Verse 11, but Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Because right now, remember, these two girls are outsiders. They're going to be outcasts in Israel. Naomi's trying to help them. She's trying to say, go back to your moms. Go find another husband. Have another life. At this point in history, women didn't have a life without a husband. God hated that. And he began to make some provisions to that. Naomi said, you're going to be outsiders if you come home with me. You're going to be outsiders in Israel. But, and these girls say, but Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? She says, who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope in me. Even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait till they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It's, it's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. This woman, Naomi, is broken. And she's pushing her stepdaughters away to keep them away from the same brokenness. Here's what, I want you to see this morning. If you read past this, please give me your attention for a second. Here's what Naomi believes about these two women. She believes that they're not friends, that they're not family, that they don't love her. She believes that the only reason they've been in her life is because of her sons. She believes she has nobody now. And I want you to look at what happens next in this story. She gets a glimpse of what we're going to call today God's rescue. And that's that's the fun part of the story. She gets a glimpse of rescue. And here it comes from Ruth. At this point, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah (laughs) kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. And Ruth clung to her. This is a huge moment in this story. You have two women who have lived their lives with Naomi. And Naomi says, just to see where there are, you guys don't need me anymore. I don't have, I can't provide for you any more sons for you to marry. You go do your own thing. And two girls deal with it in two different ways. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her God's Go back with her. And Ruth replied. uh, Maybe you've heard this before. If you've got a friend in your life who's going through a hard time, if you've got something going on, um, if you've got a neighbor, if you've got a family member, especially who's going through a hard time, write this piece of scripture down. You don't know what to say to them, you don't know how to deal with them. This is one of the most romantic, one of the most amazing pieces of scripture in the Bible. Ruth says this to a broken hearted Naomi, a woman that she is grown to love like family a woman that has helped her in her faith now now i I gotta let you know at this point in history moabites were worshiping other gods now she is worshiping naomi's god she has followed her and she has become family and here's what she says but ruth replied don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you here it is where you go i will go and where you stay i will stay Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. May the Lord, you see that capital L? That's Yahweh. That's the true God. That's not the God she grew up with. That's Naomi's God. That's Yahweh. That's our God. That's a different God. She's saying, your God and my God are the same person. We are going to do life Together, may the Lord deal with me be ever so severely if, the, if even death separates you and me. I love that. If even death, not even death can separate us because we have been the, given the gift of God. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. What do you, what do you think about that moment? You talk about friendship. You talk about a move. I've got, um, right now, I've, I've got a family member who's going through some awful things. Um, I went through a divorce long time ago seems like a whole nother life ago had a terrible divorce that I went through of course is there ever a good one Um, and I know there are worse ones than I had I didn't have kids but I just had this terrible um, time of self-esteem and my brother um, who he and I had kind of been on and off good you know friends but kind of just kind of drifted when that happened he just stuck to me and he didn't read this piece of scripture to me he's not that kind of guy but man there was this sense of you know what if you're broken, I'm broken. And i got to tell you, my brother's not a real articulate guy. Um, he's not a preacher. Um, he doesn't like to stand up and talk. In fact, if you're one-on-one with him and something's going hard in your life, he, he tends to kind of back away. It scares him a little bit. You know that? how that feels. But when things were going hard in my life, there was this sense in my brother, wherever you go, I'll go. And that's what he did. I would go to one room, and I'd start crying, and he would sit up and just sit next to me. He didn't say anything, didn't do anything. I'd get up, and I'd go in another room, and I'd start crying. He, he just... Follow me and sit next to me. And i, I got to tell you, if you're here today, you got people in your life that are broken like this. This is the Ruth kind of friendship. Where you go to them and you go, wherever you go, I'll go. Whatever you're going through, I'll go through. However nasty life is, I'll go through it with you. This is Ruth's promise to Naomi. And it gives Naomi a new lease on life. Here's what happens to Ruth. Ruth begins to represent God in the story. i got to let you know today, if you're the kind of person like, like I tend to be, I'm really working hard on this, and, and I've talked to Marisha about it, so she knows I'm working hard on it. I am a, I'm a pessimistic person. I can be a really pessimistic person. The first, When something comes up bad, my first thought is to think all the bad things that could happen or would happen or, or have happened, and, and I, I, what my counselor calls awful lies, which I think is a word she made up, um, but it means that I just make it worse than it is. And I want you to know that if you do that here today, that feeling isn't from God. That in the story, God is always representing pessimism, or optimism. He's always the voice of hope. And in your stories, if you've got family right now, if you've got stuff that you're going through, if you've got stuff your family's going through, if you've got issues in your life right now, if you have family things that are going on, represent optimism. Represent hope. When you represent hope in the midst of despair, you Speak on behalf of God himself. Ruth gets into a situation where there is so much despair that when, when Ruth, and you'll, you re, if you read this, Ruth and Naomi go back into Israel, and the people call, they say, hey, look, there's Naomi. Naomi means, um, it, it means something like kind of peace. It means kind of like happy, <laughs> the word happy. And so when people said, hey, look, there's Naomi, she says, no, don't call me Naomi anymore because that means Peace. Call me despair. Call me broken because I am. God has left me. She's still got this brokenness in her. And from there, we see her life change because Ruth continues to represent optimism. And the story keeps going. And they come to a point where God begins to show us how he provides for those who are, we consider to be leftovers. At this point, these women are leftovers. And what happens in this story is that Ruth goes in to Israel where she is an outcast. She's She's outsider. She looks different. She talks different. She's obviously not one of them. She goes in, and she does this thing called gleaning. Did you read this in the text? Gleaning is this. This is a really cool thing. God says to the Israelites, when you put all your crops up, when you, when you farm, obviously I'm not a farmer. I just said when you put your crops up. Um, <laughs> when you plant, when you come to harvest, um, here's, here's the rule. This is God's rule for his people. When you come to harvest, you get one pass at the field. Now, with us, we get these big John Deers, we get these tractors, we go to harvest, we don't leave anything, right? We get every stalk of corn, we get every bean we can get. But at this point in history, there were no John Deers, there were just John, you know? You just go, you pick it yourself, and, and God says this, you get one pass at the field. After that, the leftovers, the broken people, the hurting people, the people who you have discarded, the people you have disgraced they get to come through the field and pick up what you missed. It's called gleaning. In fact, we use the word gleaning today to kind of mean the same thing. This is what I gleaned from it. It's what I got from it. It, And and this is the idea that that the Israelites would go through a field, and they did it all the time, and people would come to them. They would come to whoever was leading um, the, the harvest, and they would say, can I glean? And they would let widows, orphans, hurting people. God had this provision. In the law of Israel, to take care of those who nobody else thought of. I believe it's big for us here at New Life. I believe that what he intends for us to do is not only to to let people come through um, into our community, but he intends for us to look and turn and feed those people, to help the hurting people, to represent hope in their lives. And Ruth becomes a gleaner. She goes into the fields at this point. And she sets herself apart. Ruth um, the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go into the fields and pick up leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. Now you know what gleaning is. As it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz. Doesn't he sound like a stud? (laughs) He's a cool guy, Boaz. I think if my mom had named me Boaz, I'd be ripped. You know, just, just naturally. Instead, I'm John. Hi, I'm John. Oh, Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. So you've got to get this now. I want you to make sure you catch this. Boaz is actually a relative of Ruth and Naomi. Okay, She comes from the line of Naomi's husband, Ruth's father-in-law. They're in the family. And at this point in history, here's what happened. When a a piece of land was sold, when a piece of land was bought or sold, or a piece of property was bought or sold, um, it would stay in the line of the family. So if if I owned a piece of property and I needed to sell it to pay off debts or whatever, somehow in the sale of that would be a provision for it to go back to a Mitchell at some point. And that's the way it worked. And that's the way God kept the Israelites' property in the hands of the Israelites. And at this point... um, Naomi ends up kind of realizing that that Ruth has been working in the field of her relatives. Boaz is a rich dude, of course. He's tough. He's got a tough name. He's a cool guy, and and he's, he's a rich dude. He's got a lot of money. He's got a lot of land. He's the boss of this harvest. This is his property. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, and this is how the people felt about Boaz. Not only was he a, 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 um, a, a rich guy, but he was one of those rich guys that, that people respected and loved and didn't treat people differently. And look, this is how they treated him. He, he, went, he went into the harvest to all the workers and he said, the Lord be with you. All the workers, the Lord be with you. Now, I don't know if he went to each one or he had a megaphone. And he said, the Lord be with all of you or however he did it. But there's this sense that they were glad to see him and they said back to him, the Lord bless you. This is a man that everyone respects. And here's what Ruth is doing. She's going back through and gleaning behind the harvesters. And they realize this woman is a worker. Now they know about Ruth. I don't know if they've got a People magazine or what, but they know about Ruth at this point. They know that her husband died. They know she's not an Israelite. They know that she's an outsider, that she's kind of different than everybody else. They know about Naomi. They know the whole thing, and they realize that this woman, not only is she stuck next to her mother-in-law, not only has she clung to her and done the right thing as a friend and as a family member, she is a hard-working girl. One One of the harvesters says, she's only taken one short break today. She works really hard. She's done really well for herself with her reputation. And so we meet Boaz. Next slide. Boaz sets himself apart by his character, much like Ruth does. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Now that word daughter wouldn't have meant you know, the, the same thing it means to us, except that there's a good chance that Boaz was much older than Ruth at this point. So he's kind of speaking down to her in that way. Listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. And don't go away from here. Stay here with the, woman who work, the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have feel, filled. There is a spark happening. If you're a woman, you just woke up. You know, if you've been asleep. And you hear the story of Ruth and Boaz and he says, don't, don't you men lay a hand on Ruth. And he says, please, don't go to another field. That's the way I felt when I met my wife. I was a pretty broken guy, um, pretty hurting after my divorce, single in ministry at a church. And we began to hang out together and we developed a friendship. And, and it wasn't based on the same thing my first marriage was based off of. It was a different kind of thing. And it was a whole different kind of thing. And I, there became this time where somebody said, you know, We weren't really dating and we were in that place where we didn't talk about it, you know, but we spent a lot of time with each other. and And somebody said, I remember I was sitting there, and the secretary said, Hey, um, is Risha dating anybody? We need to set her up with so and so. And I fumed. (laughs) And I realized, Uh oh. And I wanted to say to her, I mean, it was kind of like Boaz, don't go to another field, don't go somewhere else. Don't, no. And I realized it myself, and, and, and my mom and dad would call, and they'd say, who is this Risha you keep talking? Oh, she's just a friend. We're just hanging out. We're just. And that moment I realized we ain't just hanging out. There's a spark. And i got to let you know there's part of this story, and I know I'm going long this morning. I'm almost done. There's part of this story that is so big for you. If you're here and you're single, if you're here and you're a woman or you're a man, especially if you're a woman, there is a huge part of the story. Here's what Ruth does. And here's what Boaz does. They look at character first. You know what attracts Boaz to Ruth? That she's a hardworking person who has loved Naomi. Now, in lots of stories, we see that she's also good-looking. The Bible never says that. We don't know. For some reason, uh, we kind of picture that, but uh, we don't know. Maybe she's not. Maybe she's kind of gangly. I don't know. And Boaz, I mean, I think of him as tough and pretty good-looking because he's got a name Boaz. You've got to be able to hold that up, you know? But maybe he was messed up. Maybe he had a hunchback. Maybe he wasn't right physically. But she looks at his character first. We have a friend that, you, that used to live with us. Wonderful girl. We still love her. She's married in Beloit. We still talk a lot. And she used to date these girls. She's a real pretty girl, um, which sometimes I think is a disadvantage. She used to date these guys that were just not good. Many of you, many of the women in this place go, Amen. They weren't good, but they were good looking. They were hot, they were whatever it is at that time, and she would bring them home, and by the first time we saw them, we'd go, nope, no, that's not going to work, and she would end up crying in her bedroom for two days, every time. We were sitting on the, ha- on the couch one day in the living room, Rachel, will remember this, and she said, I, there just aren't any nice guys out there, they're just nowhere, and she's doing the same stupid thing over and over again, she's going to the bar, or she's going to a place, and she's looking across the room, and she goes, I want that one, because his shirt looks nice and his hair's good and he's in good shape and they develop this weird kind of a thing and then she ends up hurt and she goes back out to find another one and she starts the same way you know what that is that's the definition of stupid you do the same thing expecting different results and i said it to her this is stupid and i'm tired of you hurting because it hurts me i'm hurt for you i'm tired of you laying in your bed over the same good-looking guy that you knew nothing about except for his hair and maybe something else. He wanted the same thing from her every time. And I got to let you know today that this story is about the way God intends for two people to hook up. Two people to get together and it starts with character. When she said that, Risha said Risha said it a lot better than I did and it kind of hurt my feelings at the time. She said, "They are out there. They just don't the good guys just don't look that they're not the first ones." And the elephant in the room was, "I got a good guy." You know? And I'll never forget. It's, I still think about it. Ashley looked over at Risha and she looked at me. She kind of gave me that girl look up and down thing and she goes, Oh! Yeah! Character first. And I got to let you know, she's married to a bald man. She's married to a bald man. And I am so thankful. Not because he's bald, I kind of am. He is one of he has just got upstanding character. He's got his flaws, he's got his messed up stuff. But what he fell in love with her was her character and what she fell in love with was his character. And God takes care of the rest. If you're here, this is part of the story of Ruth. Stop doing the same stupid thing you've been doing expecting different results. Look character first. Okay. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. She threshed the barley. We're going to go through that. She had gathered in the amounts. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave to her what she had left over. And then something happens to Naomi. I love this. Naomi starts to grow in her optimism because Ruth has been ruthless in her love for Naomi. Next slide. Check this out. Naomi becomes a matchmaker. And I believe that feeling of matchmaking, my wife has it, oh my goodness, she has this so much. She sees somebody who she thinks is really nice, a girl living with my mom and dad right now. She's constantly, every time we leave the house, she goes, I just love Erica, and I know what that means. Who in our life could we introduce her to? (laughs) I know exactly what it means. And as a guy, I'm going, don't get involved. Because if they don't, then it doesn't work, and then we're awkward, and you know, all that. But there's this thing in her, she just wants to matchmake. And that ha- that's a lot, of, a lot of the girls in this place are that way. Naomi becomes that. She, wants, she sees a spark. That's from God. You know, that's from God. That feeling of uh, these that looks good and they look good and they just would be and they would be so happy. You kind of see it from a. That's the way God looks at our lives. He sees them and he sees them and he thinks together they would be different. And that's what a matchmaker is. He sees two different people converging and go. You just be so good together. Naomi does that, and she begins to matchmake. Next slide. She begins to put them in situations where they're together. This happens all the time. I don't don't know if she she has dates or what that she has. Oh, look, it's Boaz, Ruth. He happens to be here to fix the gutters, you know, whatever it is to kind of matchmake. And then she finally gets bold with Ruth, and she says, Ruth, it's time to ask Boaz to rescue you. I love this. See, the first story of rescue in this story is Ruth rescuing Naomi. Now, I want to be real careful here this morning. I don't believe Ruth was a weak woman who needed to be rescued as a woman. I don't believe that because I think she's a rescuer in this story. But at this point in history and in this point in the culture, she needed someone to help kind of move her life to the next place, and that was Boaz. So here's what happened. She went to the threshing floor, and this is another one of those terms you may not have heard of. Here's what the threshing floor is. It's, it's really a cool thing, and again, I'm not a farmer. I don't know much about this, but I learned a lot. At at this point in history, they had to separate the good grain from sort of the fluff, and I kind of picture it as hay and sort of straw. And the way they would do that is that they would put it all in a big room, and they built this big building with big open sides to it that would be high up on on a hill where the wind would blow through it. Really cool building. And really well thought through. And they would put all of the stuff that they harvested. All the bad stuff, all the good stuff. The hay, the straw, and also all the grain. They would get it all in one place in the middle of this floor. And they took a pitchfork. And they would, they would get a nice big lump of it on the pitchfork. And they would throw it up in the air. It's really a pretty, kind of a cool idea. As a filmmaker, that's what I do um, for a living. I, I think about how this would look visually. Dark, harvest time, fallish men with pitchforks throwing this hay up in the air. And what would happen is he would throw it up in the air, and the light hay and the straw and the grass, all that stuff would kind of blow out, and the wind would blow it away, and all the heavier grain would fall straight down. So you'd end up with two piles. You'd end up with a big pile of hay and stuff that wasn't used, and then you'd have a big pile of the good stuff, the grain. It was really cool. And that's called threshing. So when you see that word, that's what it is. It's called threshing. And they had this threshing floor where all these men would be doing this. Ruth says, here's here's what's going to happen. And Naomi says, Ruth, here's how you're going to meet Boaz. Here's how you're going to take the next step with Boaz. They're going to sleep, and here's what they would do. They would, they would thresh all day. They would get all of that together, and then they would sleep around it at night. And that was the tradition. They would sleep on the threshing floor. They kind of sleep like spokes in a wheel with their feet pointed out away from the thresh so that people didn't steal the grain overnight. It would be really easy to steal. So they all are kind of asleep um, around it in the night, and Ruth goes in to talk with Boaz. One day Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. And now Boaz, with, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed up, wear that nice little black dress. You look so pretty in that. <laughs> but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go, uncover his feet, and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Now, there are a whole bunch of things. If you read this online, a whole bunch of people that say this is a scandalous thing. Now, I don't shy away from those conversations, but I'm telling you, this isn't. This isn't Ruth going in and making a move on Boaz. Here's what happens. Ruth makes a bold ass. Next slide. I want you to get a picture of this, and it's really a beautiful, romantic kind of a picture if you're that kind of person. <clears throat> and um, the, 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 the grain sits in the middle, and everybody's asleep, and it's dark, and Ruth gets the guts to go close to Boaz. Now, at this point, Boaz would have um, a garment, a long garment of some sort that would have a hem on it. H-E-M, not a H-I-M, would have a hem on it um, that would have some sort of bedazzlement of some sort. I don't know how they did it, but just little, all kinds of little things that would say that he has authority in that place. And this was part of history for a long time. You remember when Jesus was walking the earth, um, and one time a woman touched, she was bleeding, couldn't quit bleeding. She touched the hem of his garment, and she was healed. Do you remember that? The hem of Jesus' garment would have had similar things. And it's, it's to say that this person has authority. And what... She was saying in her culture at this point, when she went to Boaz, she moved his, the hem of his, um, of, of his cloak open just a little bit to say, use your authority. Use your authority to redeem, to rescue. And I'll let you read through that, but that's what happens. And he says yes, and they get this spark, and there's this romantic music playing underneath. And then here's what happens. There's a, you can skip down to two. The happy ending of, one more, Tanya. The happy ending is this. At this point in history, in order to, to marry someone who was married to, your, um, to your, uh, your blood, you would have had to go through um, a process, um, and it, it would take, a, take a quite a legal process. And if you read through, you see that Boaz goes through this process. And there's another person who actually is in line to marry her and to take her property, to Naomi's whole property and that whole setup to take that whole thing and Boaz kind of talks him out of it and it's this really cool kind of a you don't want that <laughs> and Boaz ends up marrying Naomi she calls him her kinsman redeemer the idea is a very political idea at that time that this person has redeemed he is set new he is purchased back then the elders And all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming to your house, like Rachel and Leah, heroes who together build up the family of Israel. May you have standing in in all the places in Judah and in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. This story is huge in the story of Jesus. Now, here's what happens. I'll finish the story for you. Ruth and Boaz have a baby. They have a baby named Obed, which is kind of weird. Um, his name is Obed, and he has a baby named Jesse. And Jesse has a baby that becomes King David. So the, the, grand, the, the great grandkid of Ruth and Boaz is king. That's how big this story is in the nation of Israel. And then we know that Jesus Christ himself comes from the line of King David. I'm hoping I put that together a little bit for you today. But here's what I hope even more. N- next slide. You band, you guys can come up. I've gone a long time. Thank you for listening. This is a long story. But here's what I'm hoping you get from this today, from the story of, um, of Boaz and Ruth and Naomi. And one of the things I hope you get is that if you miss something or you'd like to go back, it's four chapters. It'll take you 12 minutes to read it. It's really quick. Um, if you're like me, it might take you 20, slow. Um, but it's really worth reading again. Um, but here, here's, here's the, what it boils down to you today, and here's what I'm hoping you get. That your story, right here, right now, involves a rescuer in many ways. The first one is this, that God intends for your story, he plans for your story Um, and he plans for you to be rescued. Maybe you're here today and you feel totally lost in the world. You feel broken, you feel gone, you feel away from God, you feel like what he wants from you is to be good and maybe today's the first time you've ever heard that that's not really what God is most excited about in your life. I'd love to talk to you about it today. I'm going to go right back to that corner after this, as this song's playing. If you want to pray about it to me or you want to yell at me about something because you didn't like something I said, whatever you want, I'll be right back there in that corner. I'd love to talk with you this morning. But I, I, you need to know this too, that part of the story is that, that you're rescued. Another part of the story is that you know the rescuer, that you know God, that you know who he is and that he becomes a part of your life. And here's the last thing, that you become a rescuer. There's some of you in this place today who have people in your life that are broken. You don't know what to say. People, friends, hurting people in your life who are so far from God, they feel so broken, they feel so lost, you don't know what to say. Maybe God is calling you to step up to be the hero in their story and in yours. To be the redeemer, to be the rescuer of their story. I'm gonna go right back there in that corner. I'd love for you this morning to say, as we, if those of you especially who are close to God who've been kind of studying this, if you could, if you could just say, God, and, who in my life needs rescuing? Who can I be that kind of a friend to? Who can I represent you to? How can I be represent hope in the lives of those around me today? Would you stand with me and sing this morning?